This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Luke's Gospel and the fifth chapter. Luke chapter 5. And so it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. The lake of Gennesaret really is the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Gennesaret was the old ancient name for the Sea of Galilee. And sometimes it's called the Sea of Tiberias because of the Roman Empire, uh, Roman Emperor. Uh, there was a city built, which is still there, uh, called Tiberias, which is near the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. And then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And later on, he would tell him to put out into the deep. But in the first instance, just a little from the land. Steps of faith are often taken in that manner. Little steps first, big steps come later. And it was obvious why he was doing this, uh, because he was going to use this uh, boat as a pulpit. And uh, the crowd was pressing in on him, so he wanted a little bit out into the, off the shore. And then he says here that he sat down and taught the multitude from the boat. So he assumed the position of a rabbi. When a rabbi wanted to teach, he sat down. People usually sat down along with him to hear what they had to say. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord." That was a kind of an exaggeration. Didn't want really Jesus to depart from him, but he just felt so unholy in the presence of the Holy One and the Mighty One and the Powerful One. And suddenly all his weaknesses and sinfulness uh, came before him. And uh, that's why he said what he said. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. And so when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all, and they followed him. Is God interested in your temporal, material needs? Does God care if you succeed or fail? Has he any regard and concern about your 
sense of satisfaction and fulfillment in life? Does it really, really matter to him whether you get that bill paid or meet that partner or pass that exam or overcome any obstacles you have in life? I think the answer to that has got to be a resounding yes. Absolutely, he cares. The Lord was interested in their need. He knew of their emptiness. Remember, he stood in that empty boat while they were washing their nets. He could see without even having been told that they had caught nothing, that they were empty. But I think it was more than just the emptiness of their boat or their lack or their frustrations. I think it was more than their obvious need to catch fish. I think it was the lack of achievement, their lack of success, their inability to produce, their failure at that particular moment. And it wasn't as if they didn't try or didn't care. Master, we have toiled all night. And it wasn't as if they were lazy or stupid. They were professional fishermen. This was their livelihood. They weren't negligent. In fact, the fact that they were washing their nets tells us that they were getting ready to go out the next night because they'd have to wash those nets and hang them up to dry so that they wouldn't rot. And so the intention was they were going to go again. They had done everything they knew to do. Everything. It was to the best of their ability. Nobody could fault them for what they had done. But still the end result was nothing. Zero. Zilsh. Nada. Emptiness. Not even a sardine. Nothing. And although God wants us to be able to overcome and to be able to win in the battles of life and overcome in our struggles, yet for all their endeavors, for all their effort, for all the energy they expended, there was still nothing. Have you ever had a time when you felt you came up empty? <laughs> when you did everything you knew to do to the best of your ability? Would you still come up empty? Well, that's the position they were in. But the Lord was interested in their need. Not, not just the practical need of fish, but that need of satisfaction, of fulfillment, a feeling it was a job well done, a feeling of success and achievement. And they had none of that. But the Lord knew how to meet their need. The Lord knowing about it and the Lord doing something about it are two different things. And while Jesus was preaching on the brow of this boat, he was very conscious of its emptiness. And he was in the boat when it was empty. And the Lord is in our boat when it's empty. 
and he's in it when it's full. And whether it's empty or full, he's in our lives, he's in our boat. Good times or bad times, mountaintop times or valleys, poor times or times of plenty, he's still with us through it all. That's why Paul could say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. Whether I have much, whether I have little, whether I'm hungry, whether I'm full, whether I'm rich, whether I'm poor, I can do it all through Christ who strengthens me. God knew very well about Hannah's barrenness. He knew the deep longing and yearning in her heart for a little boy, a man-child. And he saw the mocking of Penina. Elkanah had two wives, Penina and Hannah. And you remember how that went up to the temple each year to present unto the Lord, how that Penina used that opportunity was wicked. At her most tender time, at her most self-conscious time, she used that and mocked her and baited her. And the Lord's seen all of that. And it was year after year after year after year after year of emptiness, of barrenness. But the Lord knew how to meet that need. And of course, in the end, the Lord met that need, didn't he? He gave her little Samuel. He became the great prophet Samuel. That not one word he spoke fell to the ground. The Lord saw Hagar's despair whenever Sarah bucked her out of the house and she had to go into the wilderness. She had nobody. Only Ishmael, her son. And she was despairing. She put her boy to one side to walk away to let him die. She couldn't bear to watch him dying. That's how low she was. That's how bad things were. But the Lord saw her. And the Lord met her need. We'll not go into it because we briefly mentioned this morning about Elijah's great disappointment in life and how low how he was and Stephen stoning and how that in the midst of the stoning of Stephen that the Lord opened heaven and his eyes could see Jesus standing at the right hand of God <clears throat> what a moment that must have been for him to see that it is Worst moment in life, he had his greatest experience in life. Lord knew all about Paul's beatings, knew about Noah's isolation, when he was the only one to preach righteousness, when nobody believed him, when nobody wanted to hear him. Just him in that generation. He knew about John's exile when that dear old saint, old as he was, taken away from that which he loved the most, the church, dumped in that penal colony 
in the middle of the Aegean Sea. For all he knew, that would be it for the rest of his life. He must have felt terribly lonely, terribly cut off from everything he loved and everyone he loved. And yet the Lord met his greatest need. The Lord came and gave him that wonderful revelation of himself. Because that's what the book of Revelation is. It's not the book of Revelations. The book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's who it's really revealing. It's uncovering for us. And we see Christ in the way in the book of Revelation that you don't see him any other place in. He was with every one of those, without exception. He was with them all in their troubles, in their trying times, in their difficult moments, in their times when they felt empty and lost and abandoned and discarded and persecuted. He was with them all, and he knew how to meet every single need that they had. And Jesus knew how to meet this need. Notice here, but in the midst of failure, the Lord encouraged faith. Launch out into the deep. Let down your net. At their point of failure and emptiness, the Lord challenges their faith. To Jairus, he said, fear not. Only believe. It's easy saying that. But your daughter is dead. That's what the crowd told them when they arrived at the home. Don't, ma don't trouble the master any further. Your daughter's dead. And Jesus looked at him and he saw that despair in his eyes and that fear. Fear not, he said. Just believe. Trust me. I've got it all under control. <laughs> I know what I'm doing. To Mary and Martha... At the grave and the tomb of Lazarus, their brother, did not I say unto you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Did I not tell you that? Remember? Think. It's all under control. The man with the withered hand, stretch forth your hand. And as he did, he was healed. To the blind man, what do you want me to do unto you? <laughs> it seems such a superfluous question to ask. I mean, it was obvious, wasn't it? Man at the pool of Bethesda. Do you really want to be healed? <laughs> so what, why was he doing that? He was eliciting faith. He was wanting something from them. Wanting them to believe, wanting them to reach out, wanting them to do something. He could have done it all. But in those cases, he wanted them to do something. He wanted a response, a step of faith. And that's what he did with these disciples. Launch out into the deep. Let down your net. And notice that this step of faith, this act that he was asking them to do, notice that it was familiar to them. I mean, they had been out in the deep and launched their nets and 
thousand times. Since there were wee boys that had done this. So nothing unusual in doing that. Nothing unusual in that. The difference was the timing of it. Not the how, but the when. Not the how, but the when. They knew the how. They knew how to launch out. They knew how to let down their nets. But it was the when. In the daytime, not the nighttime. And any self-respecting fisherman, not an angler, but fisherman, you don't fish in the day. You fish in the evening. And not only that, the great crowd were standing at the shore watching. Must have felt a little bit foolish having to do this. But it was going to be a step of faith. He was prompting them, encouraging them to do something. Part of it was familiar, but the other part of it wasn't. They knew the how, but the, it's the when bit. Today, right now, in the daylight, when nobody fishes at this time, that's when I want you to do it. That's the part where your faith will work. You remember in 1 Kings chapter 17, and you know the story well enough, how that Elijah had come to Zarephath, the word of the Lord came to him saying, verse 8 of 1 Kings 17, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she, said, so she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread. I have only a handful of flour in a bin and just a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. Now, there's nothing unusual in that how. <laughs> she had baked little cakes of bread since she was a wee girl. She, she knew how to bake a cake of bread. She had done it a thousand times, a million times. Nothing unusual in that. But it was the timing. It was the when. But make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And then afterwards... Make some for yourself and for your son. Ah, now that's different. She knew how to make bread all right. And she knew she couldn't make very much of it. In fact, in her mind, all she could think is, I can just make a couple of little loaves for me and my son, and that's it. That's the end of it. No more flour, no more oil, no more baking. We're done, we're finished, we're going to die. And he's having the audacity to ask me, to make me first. 
But this is where faith comes in, isn't it? This is where obedience comes in. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away. She used her faith, did according to the word of Elijah. And she and her and her household ate for many days. And the bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. And so, sometimes the Lord asks us to use our faith in ways that we may be familiar with ordinarily, but it's the timing of it. It's the when he asks us. The last thing they felt like on earth was launching out into the deep again. Remember, these men had toiled all night. They were bone-tired, weary, and they were probably hungry. And they had to finish washing those nets. And then they were planning and going home and having a good day's sleep before they did it all over again. So the last thing they wanted was to actually go out into the deep. You can see that. You can understand that. But that was the very thing that the Lord challenged them. The timing of it seemed to be all wrong. But it was all right because it was the Lord who organized it. In Matthew chapter 17, towards the end of the chapter of Matthew 17 and verse 24. And when they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? And he said, yes. <laughs> Sometimes Peter, you know, <laughs> oftentimes he spoke before he actually thought what he was saying. And, uh, but he knew the answer that he should have been given here, and he gave it. <laughs> but actually, this temple tax was not a civil tax, religious tax. And way back in Exodus, God gave through Moses the, uh, the command that a half shekel was to be raised from every meal 20 years and upwards. And initially, it was going to be used in the, in the tabernacle. But then eventually, it began to be used for the, the upkeep of the temple and for the priests and the Levites and everything that needed to be done. And so it was a command of God. But this took place towards the end of Jesus' ministry. Not at the beginning, but towards the end. And the reason why they asked this because they were trying to trip up Jesus. They were trying to find fault against him. Now, ordinarily, because Jesus was counted as a rabbi, particularly in the early days of his ministry, he was much loved. Uh, the population loved him. But then, towards the end of his ministry, he came into the time of, of opposition and persecution. And that's when the scribes and the Pharisees were all 
rising up against him and looking for every occasion to, uh, to do something against him. And so they must have come up with this idea, well, he's a rabbi, and generally in those days, rabbis were exempt from this tax, generally speaking. And, uh, but now that they're against Jesus, now they thought, well, here's an occasion we can use against him. Because if he's not paying the temple tax, uh, then we've got him. He's in trouble. And so it goes on here. We'll just read it a little bit more. He said, yes. And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? Peter said to him, from strangers. In other words, the kings of the earth, they don't tax their own sons. Just the, the populace, but not their own sons. So he says, from strangers. And Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, Go to the sea, cast in a hook, take the fish that comes up first. When you've opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. Now, one of the things Jesus was trying to impress upon Peter here and anybody that was listening was, he's the son of God. He's the son of the great king. And as the son of the great king, he doesn't really need to pay the temple tax. He called the temple my father's house. Remember he says you made it a den of thieves, my father's house. So he didn't actually need to pay the temple tax. But lest it should offend them. He says, okay, we'll pay it. Peter already said he was paying it anyway. <laughs> Peter didn't really want him to get into trouble. Peter was smart enough to know that was the reason why they're asking the question. He says, no, we'll pay it. We're not going to offend them. We're not going to give them any occasion here. And so what did he tell them to do? Go down to the sea, Sea of Galilee. Cast in a hook and take the fish that comes up first. You'll find money in its mouth. So it had to be at least a shackle in its mouth to pay this for you and for me. What would be the chances? What would be the odds in the Sea of Galilee? How many fish would be in the Sea of Galilee? Who knows? Million? Billion? Who knows? What would be the chances of just one fish on that particular day finding a coin at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee, putting it in its mouth, and Peter going out at a certain moment of that day, casting in that one line with that one hook. He hadn't done that since he was a wee boy, I'm sure. And catching that one fish, the only fish in the Sea of Galilee, with money in its mouth. Jesus here was showing who he truly was by this amazing act of knowledge and understanding. You know, Way back in Genesis, God gave man dominion even over the fish of the sea. But man lost that dominion through sin. But Jesus, the last Adam, had dominion over everything, even the very fish of the sea. 
You remember when he was fasting in the 40 days in the wilderness and he was with the wild beasts? But they couldn't touch him. I've often wondered, I wonder did they come up and did he stroke them? I don't know. But he was in full control, full dominion, full power. And one day, one day, when he comes back, that dominion will be ours too, to rule and to reign over everything. But not right now. Now, the thing I want you to notice here was not the when, but the how. <laughs> he didn't tell him to launch her into the deep. That was familiar territory for Peter. He told him to take a hook, just one, cast it in. <laughs> that was unfamiliar to him. That seemed so childlike. He probably remembered when he was a wee boy doing that at the seashore. <laughs> so childlike and it took faith and it took a childlike attitude to do that and when he did it he got the reward didn't he he got the temple tax for Jesus and for him and so the Lord knows how to meet our need and very often he wants us to be involved in the meeting of that by our faith by our trust, by our believing, by our dependence upon him. And sometimes it requires taking a step of faith that at the time may seem foolish. It may seem ridiculous. But if it's his prompting, if it's his word to you, then no matter what it feels like or sounds like or looks like, it'll come to pass. <coughs> Obedience and trust are not always exciting at the outset. But Lord, we have toiled all the night. <laughs> you can almost feel his exasperation. Lord, you're not going to ask us to go out there again. We've been out all night. We've done it. It didn't work. The fish are gone at this moment. Who knows where they are? He knew where they were. He knew exactly where they were. Nevertheless, only because you have asked. Anybody else had asked, Peter would have probably dacked them because he just wanted to go to bed, go to sleep and forget that night, start the next day. Lord, just because you asked. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll take you at your word and I'll let down my net. Didn't seem too exciting having to push that boat right out into the deep in broad daylight with the whole hillside watching you, probably thinking, what has got into those men? Because they probably didn't hear that command. What are they doing out there? Well, they would soon find out, wouldn't they? So it doesn't always seem exciting at the start. Naaman, when he came to the door of Elisha, the great Syrian general with the leprosy, and Elisha didn't even go out and meet him. He sent his servant out. Sent the servant out. Tell him to go and wash in the Jordan seven times. Tell him to go and dip there seven times. 
And he went ballistic, didn't he? He was furious. I thought the prophet would come out and wave his hand over the place and I'd be healed of my leprosy and all his entourage was there. This was going to be a wonderful thing. Elijah said, just tell him to go and wash in the river. <laughs> but he had to be humbled. He had to be humbled. This great general who was used to giving orders, not taking orders. He had to be humbled. And he was furious. Are not the rivers of Damascus better? Far, far in Abana, better than this old dirty river here. And Jordan is a dirty river. Anybody's been at it. It's not a pretty sight, let me tell you. And so his entourage says, look, if he'd asked you to do a really, really hard thing, wouldn't you have done it? It's just asking you to do a simple thing. Just go ahead. See, try it, you see. <laughs> and he mellowed and he went and he tried. And he had to dip seven times. And every time he dipped, a lot of that pride was being washed off. Every time. And after the seventh time, he came up and his skin was like a baby's. It was like a child's. God had to get him to come from that high, high position of pride to be like a child again. Didn't seem so inviting at the start. But once he got cleansed, he said, there is only one God, the God of Israel. <laughs> There's only one God could have done this. Your God, the God of Israel. And as far as we know, he served God for the rest of his life. Jericho had to be walked around 13 times, once every day for six days. And Jericho was a big city. And on the seventh day, seven times. And on the seventh time, that's when the priests were to blow their trumpets and they were to shout a great shout. And the walls fell down flat. Didn't seem so exciting the first time or the second time or the third time. And I'm sure there were some doubters among them. Thirteen times. But when they did exactly as they were told to do, then God gave them exactly what they needed. Disciples in that upper room. Go tarry there until you be endued with power from on high. Jesus in the 40th day ascended back to the Father. Go tarry till the power comes. How long? He didn't tell them. He didn't say go another 10 days. No, he didn't tell them. But they were in the upper room on the 50th day when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. They didn't know how long they were going to be there. All they knew was, we'll obey him. We'll do what he's asked. And they waited, and they waited, and they waited, and they waited. And then suddenly, a sound from heaven. <laughs> and the room was shaking. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And by the way, they weren't preaching in the languages of those people. Mm -mm. Never let anybody try to trick you into believing they were speaking 
in foreign languages they weren't. <laughs> They're speaking in the heavenly language, but the great works of God. And the people come running together. Lunch out again, hardly what they wanted to hear, but it tested their faith. Obedience and trust is not always exciting at the outset. That's the testing time. But obedience and trust always has its due season. Always. And when they had done this, and only when they had done this, did they get that great catch of fish that was so great they were astonished. They had never in all of their life seen a catch of fish like this. Their nets were almost at breaking point. They called their friends and the both boats were filled to their almost sinking. No wonder they were astonished. Their due season had come at the most unexpected time during the day when no fish would be caught. But Jesus knew exactly where the fish were. He knew exactly where they were going to be, exactly what time they were going to be there. And those disciples had to move in his time according to his word. And only then did they get that great catch of fish. Our due season may come at the most unexpected time and in the most unexpected way. But every one of us has got a due season and the Lord will fill our boats. He will fill our boats and we'll be amazed at what the Lord has done. I think the Lord was just wanting to show them that he was the Lord of the harvest. Because there was another harvest he wanted them to capture. And it wasn't those fishies. It was the souls of men. I will make you fishers of men. And by filling their boats, he was showing them that if they would become fishers of men, there would be a harvest that they could capture. And on that day of Pentecost, a great harvest of souls, 3,000 in one day, in one service. Can you imagine that? And then 5,000 later on, and then it was Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that harvest is still coming in. And so apart from meeting their temporal material need, good as that was, Jesus was teaching them something far, far greater. He was saying, hey, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And see, you're going to have a harvest fish are going to strike your net if you follow me. So every single one of us, all of us, without exception, are called to be fishers of men. We are.
But you have to put the net out. And you have to go where the fish are. Because the reality is, almost all of them will not come in where we are. So you've got to go out somehow or some way and get them where they are. At least invite them to come in. Because the chances of them just walking past the door and suddenly saying, do you know what, I better go in here tonight. Chances of that may happen, but the chances are very, very slim. There's a brother sitting down the back there. Something almost similar happened to you, David, didn't it? He was with a friend and they were, they were going to another church and it was late and they couldn't find it. And they happened to just be coming past our door and one of the men says, hey, our church is just about to start. It's near 11, come in. And David got saved. But the chances of that are, doesn't happen very often, sure it doesn't. But if we go out to where they are and be fishers of men, we'll catch some fish. Before the Lord comes back, there's going to be a great harvest. Yes, there'll be a falling away. The Bible talks about that. But there's going to be a great harvest. And I want to be part of that great harvest. And I think you do too, don't you? And so Jesus here was teaching them not just about their material, temporal, physical need, but something greater, something deeper, something more spiritual, something more eternal, something more lasting. Catching men for Christ. Let's pray. Blessed be your name. Lord, we are amazed, astonished that you have such a command over even the very fish of the sea. But Lord, that's just what you're like. You came to take back everything that Adam had lost. We thank you, Lord, for your power, for your glory, for your greatness. And Lord, we want to be involved in all that you're involved in. Lord, would you make us fishers of men for your glory? Because, Lord, there's a great harvest out there that needs to be won for you. Help us, Lord, by our words, by our deeds, by our prayers, by our actions to win someone who's lost today. A loved one, a friend, a neighbor, a work colleague, a school friend. Lord, there's lots of fish out there and they need to come into the net. So we give you thanks. We bless you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the little steps of faith that we have taken leading to bigger steps that you will have for us. May we have the courage to take them so that you will be glorified and that men and women will be blessed. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. 
just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information www.mpc.org.uk